Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. I want to talk to you today about collision of worlds. Collision of worlds. We'll be talking about some conflict issues in the next couple of weeks. Now, how many of you enjoy conflict? Don't raise your hand, just look at me and go, yeah, I know, yeah, it's fun. You like it, don't you? Some of you do, most of us don't. But today we're going to be talking about a collision of worlds in the church, and next week we're going to be talking about a collision and a conflict between two godly men and how God used that for his glory. So don't miss these next two weeks, because it's important that we understand how to deal with challenges and how to deal with conflict. But as I said, today I want to talk to you about a collision of worlds. How many of you have seen African Queen, the movie? Raise your hand. Yeah, those are our godly people. The rest of you. If you haven't seen it, it's, it's a phenomenal movie. Uh, it's about two worlds that collide, Humphrey Bogart and Catherine Hepburn. Catherine Hepburn is a missionary, and she and her brother have got this mission going in, in, uh, in Africa. And they've got this church that they have built in the midst of these huts. And, and the movie starts. It's one of my favorite scenes of, of missionary work in the 40s. And she is playing the organ. And it's glorious. And she's singing this beautiful hymn. And she's singing really loud. And she sings better than that. And her brother is leading the, choir, leading the congregation in this glorious hymn. And this, this church is filled with native Africans. And they're all kind of looking at him like, this. And instead of singing, they're going, uh, it's kind of monotone. I think they're trying, but there's a huge disconnect. There's a huge disconnect between what Catherine Hepburn is trying to do and what the people are receiving. There's a collision of worlds. And it's something that the church has wrestled with for many, many decades and even centuries. How do we cross cultural lines with the gospel? Do we try to make everybody like the American church, or do we try to get to know their church? I love Charles Kraft's quote from, he's a professor and missiologist. He says this, he says, the gospel is to be planted as a seed that will sprout within and be nourished by the rain and nutrients in the cultural soil of the receiving peoples. Here's what he means. Basically, we have to plant the seed of the gospel in the soil of the culture. We have to be relevant so that people don't see this as so weird they can't understand it. We don't also have to put our traditions and our thoughts on them as a yoke and make it hard for them. You know, maybe you had a collision of worlds when you moved to South Florida. I know I did, right? I'm a Midwesterner, Texan, moved to South Florida, don't get it at all. It took me a long time. Now I get it and I love it. It's amazing, right? Maybe you had a collision of worlds when you got married and you realize that your wife is a part of a family of aliens from another world. Like, I, well, how could you think that way? We don't think that way in my house. We eat at 5.30. That's when dinner's supposed to be. Not whenever you feel, right? Do you have these things, you have these collisions of worlds? And how do we work this out? How do we figure out how to get along? so important that we do this. The church is experiencing in Acts chapter 15, 
they're experiencing this collision of Gentiles coming to Jesus, Jews coming to Jesus, and trying to figure out how that works together. How can we have fellowship? We're in Antioch, which is about 250 miles north, northwest of Jerusalem. And this is a booming church, but it's a diverse church. There's Jews and Gentiles, and there's people from a lot of different places. You know, diversity in church is a beautiful thing. I love looking out here and seeing all of you, different skin tones, different uh, cultures, different backgrounds. Uh, some of you Dolphin fans, some of you probably going to hell, you know what I'm saying? Um, it's another feel bad for you people who are Atlanta Braves fans, just touch on that for just a moment. Let's get you totally distracted right now, but uh, they lost last night, they're out. Dodger fans, same thing. Um, but Antioch is a diverse place. You know, in some ways it would be easier for a church just to focus on one type of person. Let's just try to reach all the white guys in their 60s, right? That's what I could do, right? But that's really, really boring, and that's not what heaven looks like, is it? Heaven looks like you. Heaven looks like people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. It's exciting. It's diverse. And at times, it's uncomfortable, amen? It's uncomfortable. So as a church, we have to figure this out. And so in Antioch, they had just... They, they had exploded in growth, and they had decided, you know, we need to reach beyond our borders. And so they sent Paul and Barnabas to go down to Cyprus, to go west, to try to, try to share the gospel of Jesus in the known world. And they had done that in their first missionary journey, and they came back, and they're celebrating. And then verse 15, something happens. There's a problem. There's a problem. Verse 5, chapter 15, verse 1 of the book of Acts says this. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small discussion and debate with them, I love how Luke understates that. You ever have a no small argument? You ever do that? No small disagreement. There, this is a serious debate. Paul and Barnabas and some of the other others were appointed to go to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversation, the conversion, excuse me, of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. Here's what's happening. The church is doing well. Remember, the church was originally Jewish. And it was a ridge. That's where the Holy Spirit fell. Acts chapter 2, the apostles were Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. But then they began to reach Gentiles. And so the question for some people was, well, what do we make the Gentiles do? One group said, listen, they've got to do what we do. They've got to live like we do. They've got to follow the law of Moses. They have to be circumcised. They have to do the ceremonial law. They have to do all these things in order to be saved. And for us, this sounds kind of foreign, but understand, for them, Christianity is a very Jewish thing. They, it's just a part of the Jewish nation. And in centuries past, if you became a Jew or, or wanted to be a proselyte, someone who came in from the outside into the Jewish world, you had to obey all the laws of Moses, including circumcision. And so it's not that unusual for them to say, hey, look, they got to they got to come in the way all of us came in. they got to obey the laws of Moses. It's 
Kind of like today, we might say to somebody, hey, look, I heard you're going to be baptized. Well, listen, here's the language you need to use. You know, we have that Christianese language. You know, oh, so you, you brother, sister, it's good. It's good, right? Uh, listen, we're going to, you need to be justified, sanctified, glorified, you know, all the fides. Those are good words to use as Christians. And we kind of try to give each other kind of our language. And then we say, listen, you need to wear these kind of clothes. You need to go to these kind of movies. Here's the top. Ten godly movies that you need to see. You don't see these other movies. Um, oh, and by the way, your kids need to go to this school. And we wind up kind of telling people they need to be in a Christian bubble almost, right? Oh, and here are the political views you must have if you follow Jesus. That got the room quiet, didn't it? Yeah, I guarantee you that you're sitting near or next to someone who has the opposite political view as you. You okay with that? See, here's what they're saying. They're saying, listen, what we need to do is add on to salvation, add on to Jesus these rules, and we need to make them do what we've all done. Peter and Paul and Barnabas stand up and say, no, no, we're going to disagree with that because we've, we know that salvation is by grace through faith. We know that. And so there's this disagreement in the church, and to their credit, what do they do? They go get help. I love that. They go find others. They go to their mother church and say, listen, we need some help and some direction on this issue. How do we solve this? Godly, good, meaning people have different opinions. Let's figure this out. And so they do. They go the 250 miles. They, they travel through Phoenicia and Samaria. And on the way, they get to share the glory of what God is doing among the Gentiles. It's exciting. People are thrilled to see that God is not only reaching Jews, but he's reaching all kinds of people. It's exciting. So they come down to Jerusalem in verse 4. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Same idea. Really interesting, though, who's saying this. It is the party of the Pharisees. Remember the Pharisees? These are the people that Jesus was so often in conflict with. But understand, Pharisees were the best law keepers there were. They knew they were great theologians. They were actually very good people if you watched them from the outside. But they also were very strong on the traditions that they had built over the centuries of how to keep the law. To the point where Jesus even said to them, listen, you guys follow the law to the nth degree, except you also build traditions that you value above the law. Matter of fact, you, you figured out a way to say to your parents, we don't need to take care of you. What I was going to do to take care of you, I've actually given it to the church. You figured out how to obey your traditions more than what God wants. And so you can understand that Pharisees, some of them came to Christ. They received the gift of salvation. They received the Holy Spirit. Pharisees believed before they were saved. They even believed in heaven. They believed in a Messiah. And when they realized Jesus was the Messiah, many actually got saved which is really amazing and really, really cool. But we all tend to bring our past into our Christianity, don't we? 
and their past of being traditionalist came into their walk with Jesus. And they began to try to implement that in the church. And they said, listen, you got to be circumcised. you got to obey the ceremonial laws of Moses in order to be saved. In verse 6, the moment everyone's waiting for, Peter stands up. Peter, the apostle Peter, the man, the legend, the myth, Peter stands up. Verse 6. And the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and he said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, and that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, and having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are we putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples and that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will all be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Here's what Peter's saying. Hey, look, guys, I've experienced this. Remember Peter in Joppa, and he, he has this sheet come down from heaven as he's taking a nap before lunch. And this, this, on this sheet are all these things he's not allowed to eat. There's lobster and, and shrimp and probably some good bacon and ham. Praise God for that tent, for that, for that, that, that canvas that comes down. And the, the voice from God says, listen, take and eat. And Peter says, I can't, I can't, I can't because I never would eat anything unclean. And God says, what I have made clean, do not call unclean. And what he's saying is, listen, I'm making all things clean. I'm making all types of food available. I'm making all peoples clean. And when Peter wakes up, a man named Cornelius had sent people to get Peter. And Peter's a Gentile. Cornelius is a Gentile. He's a soldier. And he brings Peter to his house in Caesarea. And as Peter preaches the word, people receive the word. And at that point, the Holy Spirit falls. And it's Pentecost 2.0, right? Pentecost happens in Acts chapter 2. It happens again that the Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles at Caesarea through the message of Peter. It's a powerful, powerful thing. And Peter says, listen, I saw this happen, and you know what? None of these people were circumcised. None of these people were served. None of these people were obeying the law of Moses. And yet God decided to fall on them. God is, is engaging with the Gentiles. He's bringing the Gentiles to be followers of him through his incredible will. He's saying, listen, guys, they're just like us. They're just like us. And he says to them, why are you putting God to the test? Why are you putting this yoke on them that we couldn't bear? A uh, yoke has two meanings in Scripture. You probably know this. That it's like an, a yoke over an oxen that would pull a cart. Um, it, would, it would help him pull the cart. But also a yoke really in Scripture mainly refers to a set of teachings or laws. Or this is how you are to live that a, a, a rabbi would have. It's the yoke. Jesus, remember Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. 
You're used to the yoke of the law. I'm giving you a much easier yoke, a yoke you can carry, a way to carry life. It's, it's awesome. It's great. I'm giving you a better way, if you will. And Peter's saying, why are you going back to the old way? Why are you making it hard on those who are coming in to the church? And he says, but we believe we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, just as they will. Get what he's saying. Peter is saying we're not saved because we're Jewish. We're not saved because we're circumcised. We're not saved because we keep the law. We're saved because of the grace of God. Because we're getting something we do not deserve. And they're getting saved in the very same way. And what Peter is saying is you are trying to dilute the gospel by adding to it. See, when we add to the gospel, we dilute the gospel. We weaken the gospel, and we make it harder to taste Jesus. You ever take a cup of coffee and pour a gallon of water into it? The coffee's still in there, but it's hard to taste. You've weakened it. You made it harder to drink it in. See, we have a tendency to want to dilute the gospel by adding to it. And some very difficult things happen to us when we do that. When we dilute the gospel, we become very critical of other people, especially those God has drawn into his kingdom. When we dilute the gospel, we say, listen, this is what you have to do. This is what a follower of Jesus looks like. This is the way they cut their hair. This is the clothes that they wear. This is the language that they have. This is the schools they go to. These are the political views that they have. We start to get really critical of other people. And we say things like this. And I hope you haven't said this. We say things like, well, you can't be a Christian and do that. You can't be a Christian and have that in your life. You can't be a Christian and be a Democrat. You can't be a Christian and be a Republican. You can't be a Christian and vote for Trump. You can't be a Christian and not vote for Trump. Let me tell you, there's people of all different stripes in this room right now. And when we say things like that, what we're saying is Jesus Christ is not enough. You have to believe the right things politically, believe, live the right way that I think you should live. Jesus Christ, he died for me while I was still a sinner. He died for you while you were still a sinner. Jesus Christ can save the worst of sinners, the furthest from God. You don't have to get your act together to come to Jesus, amen? And let me tell you, Jesus Christ is all you really need. But when we start to dilute the gospel and add to it, we get really critical of people. You know what? Politics matters. Amen? It does. Who you vote for matters. How you live matters. What you expose yourself to matters. But nothing matters more than Jesus. I've been so glad over the last two or three years. I've witnessed and been a part of many conversations in almost every case, the conversation has been glorifying to Jesus, even though people disagree. I love that. 
I love that there's been a sense of love, even though people were coming from totally different perspectives, to hear each other out and to be able to worship together and make Jesus number one. That's how we have to function. But when we start elevating our lifestyles, our politics, our Christian bubble above Jesus himself, we become very critical of others. And we start to alienate people. Second thing that happens is when we dilute the gospel, we become defined by what we do externally rather than who we are internally. The Pharisees said, we're a Pharisee party. It's interesting that that's noted there, right? It doesn't say they're followers of Jesus. They say we're followers of Jesus who used to be Pharisees, which means it's like saying I'm a follower of Jesus, but I'm a particularly good and traditional and godly, and, and I have lived this, this, this certain way that's apart from everybody else, and that's who I am. So I want to be defined, God, by my externals rather than what you've done in here. Let me, turn, let me tell you, how you live matters because it should reflect what's happened in here. The number one thing is what's happened in here. You can't skip that. See, you can't, you can't be acceptable to Jesus unless he saved you. That's the thing we have to value first. But sometimes when we walked in the church a long time, sometimes we start to focus on, yeah, but I've lived a great life, and I've got a lot of great stuff. You know what? I've been going to church since before I was born. I've shared Christ on several continents and many cities, many places. I have a bunch of degrees. I'm a sinner saved by grace. If I define myself by this stuff, I go to Jesus and say, man, Jesus, look at all the stuff that I've done. He says, this is ridiculous. Compared to what I've done for you, you've done nothing. Listen, a faithful life matters. Hear me out. But what Jesus has done in your heart, it has to begin there. That has to be who we're defined as. So we dilute the gospel, become critical of others, become, we become defined externally. And sadly, probably most sadly, we, we lose our taste for Jesus. Here's what I'm saying. When you dilute a cup of coffee, a shot of espresso with a gallon of water, it's hard to taste the espresso. When you dilute the gospel, it's hard to taste Jesus. It's hard to value what he's done in your life. It's hard to think that he is as great as he is. You start having trouble with worship. You start having trouble feeling like you really want to praise God. You might have diluted the gospel. You might have added things to it that don't really matter. You see, in a few minutes, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. and We're going to remember what really matters. We're going to remember the body and the blood of Jesus that paid for me. Don't dilute the gospel. Don't lose your taste for Jesus. It's our normal tendency to dilute the gospel by adding to it. So the room goes silent in verse 12. All the assembly fell silent, and then they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. So Paul and Barnabas said, man, let me just tell you, I can back up what Peter's saying. We've seen the Holy Spirit move incredibly through Gentiles. It's amazing. But there's still a problem. 
You still have a question of how do we live. You see, Jews were taught to live a certain way. They obeyed Moses' law. They were circumcised. They had all these dietary things. They, they had to figure this out. How do we live together even though we have this background? And Gentiles don't have this background at all. And James gets up, verse 13. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. I love that. Do you ever use that at home? Dads and moms. Kids, listen to me. Our kids knew that when we said that, we were probably moving. So they'd be like, oh boy, pack it up. But I love how James said that. James replies, brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take them from a people, for, to take, them, uh, from, take from them a people for, of his own. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as, as it is written. After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen, and I will rebuild the ruins, and I will restore it. And the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. Let me pause there. Here's what James is saying. He stands because, listen, guys, this is what the prophet said was going to happen. After the exile, we're going to restore the throne of David, and Gentiles are going to be called by my name. This is what's happening. The prophet said this in the Old Testament. This is amazing. This is exciting. Because, man, we shouldn't add more difficulty to the Gentiles. We shouldn't add to the gospel. Verse 20. But we should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled, and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaimed him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogue. Here's what, you say, wait a minute. I thought James said we shouldn't add stuff to them, we shouldn't make it harder. And then he gives them some guidelines, he gives them some rules. Is he bringing law back in them and say, don't do this? Here's what James is saying. He's saying, let's be sensitive to each other. For the sake of fellowship. For a Jew, anything involving idol worship, and idol worship often involved sexual immorality, and they would uh, eat animals that were offered to idols, and they would uh, eat animals that had been strangled, and they would drink blood, and all sorts of things like that, which for a Jew was just unacceptable. I can't be around someone. It's how they were raised. It's, it's their whole background. And to sit down with someone would be very hard to be friends with someone who was involved in that or who was around that or participated in that in any way. James is saying, listen, let's be sensitive to each other. This stuff is really going to bother you, Jewish brothers. And incidentally, it's not a good idea anyway. And, oh, by the way, sexual immorality is such a problem with Gentiles. Sexual immorality is such a problem in our culture today, incidentally. It is almost accepted on every area that sex doesn't, isn't just limited to a man and a woman in marriage. It's always biblical. It's always the right thing to keep sex inside of marriage between one man and one woman in a committed marital relationship. But James is saying here, he's saying, listen, guys, let's be sensitive to each other. Gentiles, be sensitive to the fact that Jews can't be around you if you're doing that. So don't do that. For us today, we don't really have that problem. Most of us were not raised to think you can't have a rare steak, right? Uh, most of us were not raised with this whole idolatry thing. It's not an issue, but we do have things that 
make us uncomfortable, don't we? And so when you think, when you're going to be with someone from the church, when you're going to have fellowship, be sensitive to them. They probably don't agree with you about everything. They may come from a totally different background. We should not assume they agree with us politically. We should not assume that they agree with us on various issues. We shouldn't uh, assume that they watch the movies we watch, that uh, we do the things that they... Listen, we just need to be sensitive. We need to do unto others what we would want them to do unto us. We need to listen to each other, understand each other's background. It can be uncomfortable, but let me tell you, can also be incredibly interesting to see how God lifted someone else up from a totally different culture, from a totally different religious background, from a totally different understanding about lifestyle, and he has saved them. We have people from all over the world, all different cultures, and honestly, we have people from all different places in their journey with Jesus. I'm grateful for that. I love that about this church. I love the fact that we can sit down and chat and you will tell me something I have no idea about. It was totally outside of my upbringing, totally outside of my experience. To me, it gets us ready for heaven. Let me ask you. You see, here's what James is doing. He's recommending reasonable guidelines that ask a diverse congregation to consider the sensitivities of others in the congregation when they make lifestyle choices. Simple message is that Jesus and his gospel message is that we are saved by grace, alone, through faith, and that's the essential thing. Where are you today? Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make him known. We cry out, we cry out.